They betrayed me. They didn't keep their promise. They tricked me and I don't care anymore. Welcome to episode 24 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mark. Now let's start with some good news on this episode. If you're listening to me right now on your phone or your iPad or your laptop or your computer or tablet or whatever you're doing, you can also now listen to me on Spotify. So we've now got all of the previous episodes on there and all the new ones will be released on Spotify too. So hopefully it makes it easier for you guys to subscribe and listen to the podcasts as soon as they're released. Now coming up on episode 24 today, we're going to be talking all things The Room. Now yes, I know I'm obsessed and this film is becoming more than just a bit of a a movie in my life. It's become an obsession And I've been lucky enough to speak to all of the cast, to Tommy himself a couple of times, to Greg Sestero, the writer of The Disaster Artist, which is now a huge film that's even had Oscar nominations recently. It's been insane, and the whole world is now discovering Tommy Wiseau. But I've been able to secure Rick Harper, the director of this whole documentary, Room Full of Spoons. Rick is one of the coolest guys that I've ever had the chance to interview and it's kind of been 18 months in the pipeline this interview. I remember we first talked about it when he shared the early cut of the documentary with me and I've actually met someone that's more obsessed with the film than me which kind of makes me feel a bit more sane which is good but the documentary itself is astonishing but it's had many many challenges on this complete crazy roller coaster ride for Rick himself it's it's I don't know how he's still kind of followed through and delivered this because he's had court cases he's had legal representatives going against him and for him and it's just been one big battle but the guy's done it and he's an absolute warrior for it and we're very very close now to getting the documentary out there for everyone to see so I'm thrilled for him And as I said, I couldn't believe I was lucky enough to sit down and talk to him because we kind of talked about it and shared a few ideas, but it didn't really come to light. And I think the timing is now absolutely spot on to release this episode because we kind of have Tommy Wiseau out there. He's on talk show host with James Franco. He's turning up to award ceremonies and people are starting to fall in love with him. And it's it's incredible because this documentary does share the love for him. It's It really is a passion project for Rick and it really does put Tommy in a great light and I can not really get my head around why Tommy was so against this being made. It it seems extreme and it's a story that I'll probably never understand but to speak to Rick himself and kind of find out a bit more has been a dream come true. So let's get to the interview. Here he is, Rick Harper himself talking with me all about the room. So Rick, my first question is, well actually I'm not even going to ask you a question, I'm going to say I finally met someone that is obsessed with Tommy Wiseau and the room as much as me. Yeah, obsessed, uh, it's almost a bit of an understatement. I've I've dedicated uh, quite a significant part of my adult life to Tommy Wiseau, (laughs) as sad as that sounds. 
No, it's not. I'm I'm totally on the same page, and I'm a bit of a latecomer to it. I've only I can't be claiming that I was there 14 years ago at the premiere and all this. I've only liked the room for the last couple of years, but it's not like I've got boxer shorts. I've gone and watched every interview possible. I've gone and interviewed the whole cast of the film. I've become obsessed, and I I finally know that it's not just me. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a comforting feeling, isn't it? See, obviously, you're like, okay, so. You know, some people go there and throw spoons and watch it once or twice and have a good time. But, you know, I met someone else that when he goes home, he's researching the Internet. He's reaching out to cast members. He's you know, trying to dig and, and, and discover every little thing about this movie. So it's it's nice to probably nice to know that you're not alone in the in, in the room crazy house. I, I thought when I was going to go to some prison cell for being a stalker or into a, a mental home, I'd turn around and you'd be sitting by me saying, well, at least we got to interview a lot of good people. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so where, where did it start for you, Rick? Were you there at the start? Were you quite a latecomer as well? When was your first memory of watching that masterpiece, The Room? Yeah, so, well, The Room, see, I'm in Canada, and, of course, you know, The Room was starting to get popular uh, in L.A. probably around, like, 06, 07, I think, is when a lot of the college students and stuff were, were going to see it regularly, and it was becoming, like, a really, really underground cult thing. Uh, in 09, the, that big Entertainment Weekly article came out, uh, written by Clark Collis, and that's what really uh, made it spread outside of L.A., so it reached New York. So by the time it got to Canada, it was probably like 2010. So I saw it, like, I'm going to say 09 or 2010 Yeah, was, uh, was uh, around the time that it actually made it here. So I was a latecomer in that sense, where I'm not like the like the the OG room fan that saw it in, in 03 or, or 04 or anything crazy like that. It wasn't even available to, to, you know, to you and I back then. But yeah, so I saw it when it first came here, so I guess about uh, 2010. And, uh, you know, probably the same kind of experience you had. It just blew my mind. I mean, I didn't know what to expect at first. You know, you hear it's the worst movie ever made, and you're a movie guy, I'm a movie guy. We've seen a lot of bad movies, and a lot of them are just, yeah, yeah they're bad, you might have a good time. Uh, you might have a few laughs, but it's forgettable, right? Yeah, big time. Yeah, or or you know, in the worst case scenario, um, unwatchable. So it's just it's it's really bad, but it's no longer fun when it's just unwatchable. Uh, you know, for me, I'll I'll give an example of like Birdemic. Yep. Like Birdemic is cool, but it's the audio is so bad, the editing is so poor that it's 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 almost painful to sit through. So after about 15, 20 minutes, it's like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, I think the novelty but, wears off quite quick with that one, and you, you kind of see that MS Paint birds. Wow, wow! It, yeah. It's funny, but after ten minutes, it's not funny, and the jokes kind of worn off. the The closest I've got to the room is probably Troll Two, where I can still watch it and enjoy it and fall in love with it in a in a way that I appreciate it after repeat viewings. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with you on that. Uh, I'll say Troll Two, and. I'm going to add Samurai Cop to that list. Oh, man, that film is amazing. And the the fact that we get Tommy in the second one is just (laughs) mind-blowing. Absolutely. Around 2010, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I thought, okay, worst movie ever made, sure. You know, we'll we'll see what's up. And, And I went, and, you know, the rest is history. Here I am. Seven years later, and the room is like a still a very significant part of my life for different reasons, of course. But yeah, so it, it you know the the movie just completely blew my mind and, and in a weird way kind of changed my life. 
So after that first kind of screening that you went to, and I'm sure like everyone obsessed like us, you then went again and again annually when it came to a, a local art house or cinema. When was every it? Month. Yeah, every month. I thought I was bad at every year. <laughs> you, know, you want to know? And so I'll let you finish your question, Mark. But this is a, a, a bit of a funny story. But this is probably like my third or fourth time going to see it, and uh, there was like a snowstorm, like a hailstorm. Um, here in Ottawa, and all my friends canceled on me, and I was trying to find someone to go with it to, to see it. No one wanted to come see this damn movie with me, so I went alone. And this is a single screen theater, so I'm standing. There's a huge lineup around the block. It's snowing. It's freezing rain. The wind is blowing, and I'm wondering what the hell am I doing with my life? And this is only four screenings in. And here I am going to see this movie alone. That must be an experience on your own. Oh, yeah. I've just seen it a while. You start a few times at the same theater. You start recognizing people and, and stuff like that. It's very much a, a community kind of event, you know. But just to emphasize how obsessed I was with this movie, that not even horrible weather and all my friends bailing could keep me away from seeing it. That's amazing. And was one of the screenings in your kind of early experience, was Tommy and Greg there as they are at most screenings now? Yeah, so about a year into seeing the room every month, uh, the owner of the uh, of the theater announced that he was talking to Tommy and he's thinking of possibly bringing him to, to Ottawa and so on. So I approached him with the idea of uh, just sponsoring the event. We didn't have much of a production company at the time. It was just more, you know, a couple DSLR cameras and, and a dream to be a filmmaker, but we still had, you know, our, our production company name, Rockhaven. And uh, so, we, you know, we approached the theater owner and, and just said, look, you know, Rock Haven would like to sponsor this event. Uh, my ultimate goal was just really to meet Tommy. I was so obsessed with the whole deal that you know, I, I couldn't uh, bear the idea of just walking in there, being a fan, shaking his hand and, and, and walking away. Like I wanted to spend time with them to see, is, is, is this guy for real? It's one thing to see him on screen. You you watch interviews and stuff, but he's, you know, in a real in a weird way, he's kind of larger than life. You like you, you have to really absorb him. I wanna I want to get to know this guy. So uh, that was the first time I met Tommy. I'd actually sponsored the event and I'd spent uh, a whole week with him. We picked him up at the airport, took him out for dinner. You know, went to play pool, stuff like that. So it was it was, it was quite a it was, it was like quite the, the ultimate fan experience. So was it quite surreal seeing that guy that was on the screen playing Johnny kind of being the same guy but at dinner and playing pool and watching films and just having a drink? It is this pretty much the same guy. It's exactly the same guy. And it was almost almost scary that you're like, okay, so this guy is, you know, he wrote this movie to play this character named Johnny, which is a very similar name to Tommy. And he behaves the exact same way in real life as he does, you know, in the movie. And with all of his quirks too, like uh, you know, the, like the way that he talks, his his awkward mannerisms, even some of the like, even his sense of humor, Mark was like really weird, man. So we're at this restaurant called The Works. All right, it's like a burger joint uh, here in Ottawa. On the table, they spray paint like a W for for Works, right? So it's a bunch of us just sitting there and, and eating and whatever. So he looks over at me and he's like, Rick we should open up our own restaurant and call it WW. So I'm like, okay. So I clue in. I'm like, oh, I get it. Wiseau works. So then he starts laughing. He's like, yeah, Wiseau works. And we can have the, the Lisa Red Dress Burger. And we can have the <laughs> the, uh, uh, the Tommy Bobblehead Burger and all this craziness. So, you know, so I, I you know, I, I laugh along with them as you would, like, if you're at your girlfriend's 
parents' house and yeah. her dad says a joke, right? Like, ah, ha, ha, I'll laugh because I'm a fan of you. Then he goes on and he starts assigning roles to people. You can be the cook. You can be the manager. You can be the – and he's going around the table uh, assigning titles to everyone. So I'm thinking, okay, is this – is, is there anything serious? Like, is this guy being serious right now, or is this still part of the joke? So, to make a, a long story short, fast forward a couple days later, Tommy's leaving town, and we're saying goodbye and so on. And right before he leaves, he's like, you know what, Rick? He's like, think about that restaurant idea I told you. And then he looks at my wrist. He's like, you have a really nice gold watch. You, you look like a businessman. I'm sure you can run a restaurant. That's all you need, a good watch. That's it. A good, you see, have a good watch, look like a businessman, and, and you can own a restaurant. That's all Gordon so, Ramsay did. That's all he did. He bought a nice gold watch. The next thing you know, he has restaurants all over the world. <laughs> exactly, right? I mean, I can't. It's not even an idea to his, his train of thought, or I, I can't even tell if he was being serious. If this is just a joke that went on too long, or if uh, you know that this was my first interaction with Tommy. So let's just say it wasn't disappointing. I want to relate this to the very first time I interviewed him, and I got two different Tommies. So. The very first time I spoke to him, he was fun, he was engaging, he was in the comfort of his own home. He rung me, I was not allowed to ring him. We had a great conversation and everyone, I believe yourself, actually listened to it when you were making the documentary and said you'd heard a side to him you'd not ever heard before. He was really upbeat. The second time I rung him, he was in the foulest mood you could ever imagine. The interview lasted seven minutes and I just had to scrap it. Have you no have you witnessed both sides of him in person? Not the you know the court cases, but have you been around right. him when he's at his worst? I, I have. This was early on when we first first started. Um, I can't even say really shooting the documentary, but we were hanging out with Tommy. We we're in uh, in Toronto. We were filming just the event and stuff. It wasn't even for the purpose of the documentary or anything like that, but we're just sort of filming our, our experience hanging out with Tommy in the screenings and stuff like that. So there was a dispute between him and the owner of the theater in Toronto. Now, Tommy wanted to sell some merchandise, or he was, uh, I should say, selling some merchandise, just posters and DVDs and things like that. There was no underwear back then. The owner of the theater walked up to him and was like, all right, Tommy, look, he's like, how are we splitting the profits here for the merchandise? Uh, Tommy's like, well, we're not splitting it. These are my posters, and I'm selling them, and I'm keeping the money. So he very politely tells them. He's like, look, Tommy, you can't come into my house and set stuff up, use my employees to sell your merchandise, and not pay me. He's like, let's just come up with some type of reasonable agreement here. So Tommy's like, look, you're going to have to talk to John about that. You're going to have to talk to John about that. I think it's pretty much common knowledge at this point that you know, uh, Tommy's assistant, John, never existed it was just tommy on another email uh address pretending to be his own assistant that's a whole other story so tommy had introduced me as uh, as his assistant which he tends to do so you know the guy takes me aside and he's like look he's like uh tommy's refusing to pay me he's like i don't know what to do here he's like uh, i know there's no john and no john is tommy he's like uh we're, we're gonna have to do something or else we're gonna you know we're, we're not, he's not gonna be able to sell anything in my theater so he approaches him again tries to reason with him Tommy completely flips on him, takes off his sunglasses, gets right in his face, he's screaming at him, spits coming out of his mouth, he tells him he's an asshole, and uh, how dare he talks to, how, how dare you talk to me like this, uh, I'm an American, he screamed out, I'm an American, we help you, as if Canada was some type of third world country or, or something, <laughs> I don't know what he meant by that. Surreal. And 
Yeah, and then he threatened them. He's like, he's like, if I sue you, you're gonna lose your building, you're gonna lose everything that you had, and so on. And then just a complete freak out. I swear to God, he had, like his eyes were watering. I thought he was gonna cry. So, me being the uh, the, the still kind of like starstruck little boy I was at the time, I uh, I told the the Fernando I think was filming at the time, uh, my my partner. Uh, I told him to put the camera down because I didn't want Tommy to freak out because we're filming him during his, his, his rage session, which we should have never done because that footage would have been just incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I, I, so he completely lost his mind on the, on this theater owner. It was it was both sad and embarrassing at the same time and, like, kind of scary because, you know, he's so good with his fans. He seems to be such a good sport all the time. And to see him just, just, to see him just lose it on this guy was, uh, was, was kind of pathetic. You just mentioned then, obviously, the filming and the, the, the footage. Now, this leads nicely to the, the fact that you then decided at this point, I'm sure, to try and document the life of Tommy and try and go further into who he is and answer some of the questions that everybody right now in the world is wanting to know. It blows my mind. At what point was it you thought, do you know what, I want to make a documentary now. This is not just someone I want to hang around with and uh, so I'm not starstruck. I want to make this into reality. Yeah, well, that was, um, it was pretty early on. So I mentioned that trip to Toronto. We were helping him sell merchandise and, and just uh, help him, uh, you know, do a couple of screenings and stuff like that while, while we were over there. So we we're spent, we had spent at this point two weeks solid with Tommy. And he's still a really interesting guy. He's a really nice guy. He adores his fans. He, he's very passionate about uh, about the room. And we thought, you know what? Like, I'm having so much fun with this. Uh, the screenings are a blast. It's still a really underground thing right now. We should do something else with Tommy. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought maybe we should do some kind of reality show or, or uh, you know, or, or a web series or just something with him because he's just so interesting. And while he's not a good actor, he looks great on camera. There's something really, uh, there's something about him that's that's really attractive. And uh, so I talked to the guys. I was like, look, what what should I present to him? You know, and the three of us had just seen Best Worst Movie, and we thought, why don't we do a documentary? I mean, Troll Two is a lot of fun, but this is a bit. This is kind of a two for one because you get to document the worst movie ever made. And you get to document this really strange guy, Tommy Wiseau, that everyone's going to want to know more about. Because while his movie's amazing, like the guy behind the movie is ten times more interesting than the actual movie itself. So I sat Tommy down and I told him what my idea was. It's kind of funny too. So we're sitting down and I'm like, look, uh, I, you know, I'd like to, to do a documentary with you. I said, we're aspiring filmmakers and I think we do a good job. We obviously really get along, you know. So he's like, okay, okay, that sounds interesting. So I'm like, did you see Best Worst Movie? And he replies, no. He's like, that movie is just trying to be the room. So I immediately had to like rewind and, and switch my pitch. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, we're not going to do that. Yeah, everything so, about that is not what we're going to do. Exactly. Exactly. I was trying to pitch it. Best Worst Movie is a fantastic documentary. It was, it was, uh, it was I loved so it. much fun. I loved so it. So well made, you know? So I'm like, okay, we're not going to do that. But then, you know, I sort of switched my, my idea around a little bit. and He was immediately on board and he seemed really excited and, of course, this is a project uh, of this is a dream project for someone, you know, to, to to be able to work with someone that you admire and that you enjoy hanging out with, and so on. And then, of course, th- things quickly went south. But uh, it was it was just like a, a, a really nice moment, yeah, a really nice moment to, to be able to pitch something to someone that you admire, have them immediately be on board, be excited about it, and you know. So that's how that sort of started. 
So once you started making this documentary, obviously you got involved with speaking to the whole crew. Something I can relate to because I've done the same for audio only, but I made sure I spoke to everyone involved in the room actors. Where are they now? Um, Amazing. After watching your documentary, I was blown away. You know, the, the cast are so sound. People like Robin and Philip, they're, they're the nicest people I've ever spoken to. So was it quite easy to track these people down and get this whole crew together for your documentary? For the most part, it was. Now, of course, when I started making this documentary, a lot of the like the room actors weren't in the uh, like they they weren't in the public eye like they are now, right? Yeah. So now, I mean, everyone has fan pages, and they're really embracing their role in the room because there's so much that has happened since. Uh, when I started making this this documentary, it was really tough. I mean, the, the first people that wrote back to me and immediately said yes were. Uh, was uh, Robin Paris and Dan Janjigian. Yeah. You know, right away, they wrote back, they're like, yep, that's cool, Robin, uh, I, I think she just maybe gave Greg a quick call and said, like, who's this Rick Harper guy? He vouched for me. So, uh, you know, she was the first person I interviewed. And then uh, Dan Janjigian, we flew to Texas, interviewed him, he showed us a great time, super cool guy, probably one of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. You know, like, when you said these are nice people, that is, uh, that is not a, a, an overstatement. These are really, really cool people, all of them. Yeah. Um, from there, uh, you know, as the project grew, I started getting a bit more credibility. You know, people would say, okay, yeah, he's a nice guy. He's respectful. They came to my house. And he didn't ask weird questions. He, his crew was professional, you know, so it was a bit easier after that. But, uh, you know, um, like some of the harder ones to get commitments from were um, like Phil Haldeman. Yeah. Super nice guy. I've hung out with him since. He's, he's come to Ottawa. He's great. But, uh, you know, early on, uh, it's like, well, who's this guy from Canada asking to come to Arizona to interview me, right? So, um, so yeah, so he was a little bit hard to, to, to get through to uh, at first. Uh, Juliet as well. Juliet, uh, you know, I can comfortably say that Juliet's become uh, a friend of mine. And uh, and her, too. You know, it was, it was tough at first. You know, she wouldn't always reply to emails and stuff like that. But she ended up, I believe, George Hardy from Troll 2, who's, uh, you know, I... I interviewed him i went to to alabama and stuff and i think he called her for me and said hey you know this rick guy's making a real movie here so it was a bit of a struggle you know there's a reason it took five years to make this thing yeah i think if i were to start if i you know if someone were to start over it'd be a lot easier because now everyone's available everyone's out there everyone's doing something somewhat related to the room you know so uh but when this was still an underground thing it's it's like oh really that again like you want to talk about that part of my life again you know who was the hardest sorry uh scott holmes yeah i so couldn't the guy get him who plays mike in the room uh, and while I, I can't get into the reasons why he um he is uh he's sort of off the radar in terms of like being on you know on the internet no facebook page or anything like that i got extremely lucky i met a gentleman when i was in la who a gentleman from New York who just happened to be in LA uh, filming something and I was talking to him and he's like yeah I used to do improv with uh, with Scott he's like I still have this old number of his here he's like try you know try this number so I called him he answered I told him who I was and what I was doing and he originally said he couldn't take part in it because of uh, because of his job so um, he was like yeah he's like that's uh, it's like a, that's not a smart move for me right now I you know I, I can't really do that. So we chatted, and, and again, we got along pretty well, and he's like, you know what, man? He's like, if you're willing to fly down here to meet me, he's like, I, I'm going to have a really hard time saying no to you. So we didn't waste any time. 
couple weeks later, uh, we were in D.C. interviewing him, and great guy, and then again just disappeared. I wouldn't even know where to reach Scott right now. I got to interview everyone but him, and I won't say it on the episode, but I know why I can't, and I know his job, and I know what he does, and I know that he's not allowed to take part now. Um, right. And I was so jealous when I saw you had him because I had like the list. And for me, Juliet was always a no. From the moment I spoke to Robin and Philip and everyone else involved, even Greg and Tommy, it was never going to be Juliet. That was the one person I was never going to get. And it felt like I had this jigsaw. I was just about to finish it, but I'd never have that last piece. And it took right. me six months. And I know you, you've done it in years, but six months is a long time when you've got every other part in place and it was so frustrating but in the end I think it was Robin who played back some of the stuff I'd done and she agreed and it was like winning the lottery I was like finally I've got Lisa you know Absolutely. It, it's and so she's good. an important piece too she's a central piece to, to, to this whole uh, jigsaw puzzle yeah theory, you know yeah huge so I can yeah. feel your pain and the the payoff is so worth it absolutely and she's a sweetheart right like Juliet is so nice but you know, you can you can almost understand her hesitation sometimes because uh, I, I mean it, it must have been an emotional roller coaster for her to make this movie uh, something that she truly cared about. She thought she was making a great movie. It comes out, not only does it flop, but she's naked through half of the damn movie. Yeah. Then yeah. it resurfaces, and you have all these bozos, you know, saying these insults and and stuff like that. So she's such a good sport because she now is able to embrace it and sort of look past it and so on but that that couldn't have been easy and she's just such a um, a beautiful person i mean i just love uh you know uh talking to her and and, and uh my every interaction with her is just always really positive she's just a, a great person once you started this documentary you're filming i've noticed obviously in the documentary itself you're not really getting tommy to take part in it he's he's kind of I've seen the latest cut and he's not actually playing for the camera, he's not featured, it's all about him instead of him being, you know, a, a big part of the documentary. Is that something you had to decide to chop or was he just hard to work with or I didn't see any of your footage of much of him, you know what I mean? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of footage of him. There was footage of us, you know, just sort of hanging out in different situations and stuff like that, stuff that we started filming before we had actually, you know, started filming officially the, the documentary, right? Yeah. But we never actually sat down and, and had, like, an in-depth interview with him or, or anything like that. Uh, things sort of uh, went awry way before that uh, that could have ever happened. Ultimately, I think it was kind of for the best because, um, you know, Tommy's very controlling in terms of the way that he's seen, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the way that he lets people talk about the room or and stuff like that so i think that had we had any type of in-depth interview with tommy or, or anything that uh he would have had maybe a you know maybe a bit more leverage to say well no now we're going to re-edit it this way or now we're going to uh you know we're, we're going to cut out some of these segments and stuff like that but since um you know it was only maybe a month into not even yeah, maybe a month after he had committed to taking part in this documentary, we were supposed to start filming the doc, the doc in New York City, and uh, he bailed on me right before I arrived to New York. And um, so we just took the documentary in a different direction, uh, made our own movie instead, which is not just a celebration of the room. I mean, it ultimately is, but you know, we also talk about 
get a little bit deeper into you know who Tommy is and where he's from and and stuff like that, right? So I think that that's a direction that we wouldn't have necessarily been able to explore had Tommy, uh, you know, participated in the doc itself. So can you remember some of the early ideas that Tommy had for it that he was kind of sharing with you? Because you went to him with the idea, but like everything that I've done with him, he wants to then change it and make it a Waizu um, production. Can you remember some of the stuff he suggested to you or the way that he would have wanted it to go? Yeah, well, that was the one thing. For sure, he wanted to do it uh, under Waizu Films. He wanted all of the crew to be American. Yeah. Okay, rem- remembering that I'm Canadian, right? <laughs> so <laughs> he wanted all of all of the crew to be American. He wanted to shoot it on red cam, which I thought was a weird decision for for a, a documentary. You know, it's, it's kind of uh, you know to carry red cams all over the place is a bit much, but but it's a little you know it's kind of overkill for for a documentary. But yeah, and then he just uh, I, I think he just really wanted to make um, like a celebration of the room and and show you know how the fans are reacting and and things like that but every type of idea that like subsequent idea that i had after our meeting he was sort of shut down it's like well you know when you're in new york i don't just want to come to the screening i said let's just meet a couple days before i'll follow you around new york city sort of see what what tommy's like in his everyday life no 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 just meet me at the theater i'll be there at the theater at the quarter to midnight you know so i'm like fuck like that's not it's not really what i'm trying to do here i want to see what tommy who tommy is when he wakes up in the morning I want to see, you know, I want people to see, you know, what you order when you go to a restaurant. Like, let's just show the real Tommy Wiseau here. We never had that opportunity. So, you know, originally we just started filming the screenings and the fans and, and stuff like that. Some of that footage from New York actually made it into the documentaries and, you know, fan interviews and, and things. And then we thought, you know what, let's just tell the full story here from the room's conception to its initial, uh, to its ultimate uh, cult status and everything it took to get there let's get everyone's perspective and we you know we managed to interview uh, uh, everyone who appeared in the room uh, a lot of the crew even and even people who worked on other projects with Tommy to to paint a really nice picture of of who this man is and and how he created this movie so the the sad part of this and you know I've seen the documentary at the early stages and I've seen it quite recently um Outside of the documentary, when was it that you and Tommy kind of that relationship deteriorated? Because it has gone sour. To that's an understatement. Um, <laughs> and that idol and that person that you worshipped is no longer. He, this guy's causing you shit. He's making YouTube videos about you. He's coming out with all this stuff about how it's a disgrace and it's lies. It must have been awful to be on the receiving end of all this. Uh, yeah, Mark, it really was, man. Like it's it's disappointing. I mean, I you know, I sunk 5 years of my life into this, okay? And granted, I mean, I have other things going on here. Let's let's not get too crazy, you know. This wasn't my full-time job for 5 years, but it was a passion project for 5 years. Something I I'm still very proud of and that I, I can't wait for people to see. Now, I didn't have any type of delusions that Tommy was going to adore this film and, and support it and promote it and stuff, but I never thought that it would reach where it has. You know, it's I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. So uh, when we were done filming, or at least we thought we were done filming, uh, we decided that we wanted, you know, sort of one last segment in the film, and that was to go to Europe to sort of go to Tommy's... Uh, where Tommy's from and, and so on. So we did a Kickstarter campaign to raise the funds for that trip. And that's when I think Tommy was alerted to the fact that we actually finished this thing. 
I mean, it's one thing to have a couple kids in Canada say that they're going to do a documentary, and then you hear little things here and there about it, but then when you have a full, like, three-minute trailer saying, yeah, this thing is done, and we just need a little, uh, you know, just a, a last little kick at the can to, uh, to, to complete it, you're like, oh, shit, this thing's actually coming out, and that's when he started reaching out to us with, with all of his concerns. Now, keep in mind, man, like, the movie wasn't even done yet. We edited a, a small trailer for it, like a small promo, but we hadn't, we weren't even done filming, uh, certainly not editing. Editing took another year or something like that. But yeah, so he's reaching out saying, I need to see this movie. Uh, you know, there's, 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 this, this isn't authorized, it's copyright infringement. Like the movies, I don't know how it can be copyright infringement. This, this thing's not even done yet. It's not even edited yet, you know? So that's when we sort of got back in touch. This is after a few years of just no communication whatsoever, not for any other reason than we're both busy and, and we have nothing to, to, to share with each other. He's not a part of this movie and, and we have nothing to talk about really, right? Yeah. Finally, when the movie was done, we started doing little test screenings, uh, submitting to festivals and, and things, and he started sending letters to a lot of these theaters that screened the room saying... Essentially, if you screen Room Full of Spoons, I'm going to pull the room from your theater. And these are a lot of like small theaters, and the room is, is guaranteed income. Yeah. You know, if, if you have you know, two, three hundred people guaranteed a month that are going to come buy a ticket and buy popcorn, I mean, that's you can't give that up for Rick Harper's documentary. No. You know? So I don't, I don't blame any of these theaters for, for not wanting to touch my documentary, at least at the time. You know, and this is again without him having ever seen it. It's just because he wanted that control of how his image is going to be portrayed. Where I gave him that opportunity five years ago, and he he pissed it away. You know, so it's like, all right, well now now I made my movie. Yeah, you you have no say. Being the uh, you know being the nice sort of polite Canadian that I am, I tried really hard to negotiate with him. Really, really hard. Like we tried to come up with all types of different arrangements and stuff and for no other reason than to just get him off my back just so that we this can we can just walk away from this amicably yeah you know, i don't i didn't owe it to him we didn't do anything that the, where there was any grounds for uh for litigation or or for nothing like that nothing you know so but i was just like just for the sake of our uh, i mean for whatever friendship i thought we had and uh, and and for the sake of, of uh, just keeping everything amicable, and you know having access to his network as well. I mean, there's nothing wrong with with getting into the hundred or so theaters across the world that Tommy screens the room in, right? So uh, so we tried to negotiate. That didn't work. Uh, lawyers got involved, and then it ultimately ended up in court. See, that's just it. Just to hear it, even though I know about this, it's it's tragic because it's just. I know it's not your main thing in life, but five years work, so much dedication, so much hard work, and you're now facing a legal battle. It just kind of pisses on everything you've done. Yeah, it it really does, man. Like, you know, it was, uh, and it sort of pisses me off to just just talking about it because it's like I remember I was in, I was on a bus on my way to London. Right, and somebody shot me a text and was like, "Oh, you might want to see this." And it was the "Shame on You" video, where he shoots up the room full of spoons poster and blows it up at the end. Yeah, you know, and like my heart sunk, man. Like my heart sunk. I'm like, what the fuck did I do to deserve this? I'm like, I, you know, I've done so much to promote the room. I've, uh, you know, there are like room super fans out there that have discovered the room. 
because of Room Full of Spoons. I brought it to new markets. They never screened it in Spain before. You know, Spain didn't know what the hell the room was. I mean, I, you know, I, I say that there were people who, you know, there were people who enjoyed it, but the first room screening, I brokered that deal in Spain. You know, and and I was there. You know, same thing in Poland. You know, the room never played in Poland before. Now it plays in Poland. Like I've done so much for Tommy Wiseau. I've, uh, you know, I, I, I made a movie that tells the truth, but at the same time celebrates the man and celebrates his movie and celebrates his success. And then he just turns around and spits in my face. You know, it's really hurtful, man. Really, really hurtful. Like you said, I did work really hard on this. We spent five years making it, another two years, uh, you know, promoting, or another year and a half, I should say, promoting. And not only is my movie still not out, but everything that we did to promote the film all of our Facebook pages, Instagram. Uh, my my friend uh, Fernando, he spent he was making like different uh, memes and, and promotional videos and all types of stuff. He spent countless hours doing stuff to to engage the room fans and stuff. And and uh, you know by court order we had to take all of that down. Thousands and thousands of dollars worth of Facebook uh, uh, promotion and and. Uh, and just countless hours of, of work that we put into this, and uh, and you know, and, and here we are. The movie's still not out, and you know, it's it's uh, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's been a hell of a journey, Mark. Hell of a journey, man. I mean, you did nothing but help promote it. Uh, your love for him is like nothing else. There's nothing in there that tarnishes the reputation of the room. Do you believe it's some of the stuff that was in Poland where you're going and kind of? Do you think he was getting afraid that you were getting to his roots and actually discovering? I know it sounds like a joke now, but the most recent James Franco interview, when he's on a talk show in America, he's saying, there's three questions you'll never know. How old is he? Where is he from? And where does he get his money? And you discovered all those. Do you think, yeah. Do you think? and this is before the disaster artist, this is before the room got the cool thing in town. This is when it's still underground. Do you think it's the fact that you were answering these mysteries that turned it so sour uh surely it had something to do with it for sure you know now we sent him a screener like a year ago year and a half or something like that at, like at this point and uh i honestly thought that because here's the thing man like while yeah while nobody knew where the money's from where he's from and, and stuff like that those three questions that are answered in the documentary um there's other stuff i found out about tommy Okay, other stuff that I'll never discuss with with you or, or anyone else because it just has nothing to do with the room and nothing good can can come out of that, you know. And this isn't stuff I search for. It's just you talk to a hundred people and a hundred people talk, you know. They'll, yeah. they'll they'll talk back, right? So I mean, you know how that goes. You interview people. Sometimes you find out more than you than you want to. There's you know? there's been edits that will never get heard by anyone. Exactly. So, and that's that's our responsibility as uh, as well. Me as a filmmaker, you as an interviewer. You know, that's our responsibility to 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 be to be smart with the information that's given to us, right? And respectful. So, and respectful, of course. So, I honestly thought that he thought that some of this information was going to be in the documentary. So I was like, okay, well, chill. Like, obviously, you know, we went to Poland, so you know what we did there. All right, like let's let's not be stupid here. So I wasn't too worried about him finding that out, but uh, you know, so I sent him the documentary just to sort of put his mind at ease. Like, just you could chill, man. Like, none of this information is gonna come out. And he came back, and a lot of the complaints that he had didn't even have anything to do with those three questions. Like, yeah, sure, he asked if we could put 
allegedly he's this age or his name is allegedly this and, and whatever, which we didn't do. But, I mean, those are just things that he requested. But there was other stuff in there where, you know, he requested at one point that we make the documentary 60% more positive as if there's some kind of positivity <laughs> measurement tool or something, you know. Rick, you're only on 37% right now. You've got a bit of work to do. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, he was like, uh, he said at the at the end of the documentary, I would like each one of the producers to say something positive about Tommy. Right. Like, the, the other producers, like, I narrate the documentary. The other producers have, they're, they're not a part of it in that sense. You know, they're, they're not just going to hop in and start voiceovering how, how you know, Tommy's hair is nice and he smells good. It's just ridiculous. You know, uh, things like that, that just, there was just no logic behind it. So while you know, while uh, trying to be reasonable uh, and, and I, wanting to, uh, to to negotiate with them and, and uh, I want to be reasonable, but some of these requests just made no sense. And what do you do with that, man? What do you do with that? So it was just it was just impossible to, to, uh, to work with them in that sense. So, you know, so for sure, some of the things that he was upset about was like, yeah, that, that we go to Poland and I don't even want to say expose that. I mean, it didn't take, uh, I'm not an investigative uh, journalist here, yeah. but, uh, you know, we did a little bit of work and, and we did our, our due diligence and, you know, we did do a lot of fact finding. So, you know, you, you read certain interviews that I've done and I talk about walking through uh, cemeteries in Poland and, and things, but I'm just fact finding. I mean, we don't see that any of that in the documentary. It's not, that's not that grim, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so I, it's hard to say what exactly his problem is with the documentary at this point. Uh, I almost have to think it's it's personal. I mean, you have the Room Actors uh, mockumentary. You have all types of, of other different things, uh, you know, books being written. And, and uh, I think um, uh, Phil Haldeman has a comic book that he did and, and stuff. He doesn't give anyone else a hard time, but just me because of this documentary, you know? So it's... it's uh, yeah, it's it's like at this point, I I don't even think he knows what his real problem is with the talk. What what is your vision now on the fact that, let's be completely honest, overnight, it's now the biggest thing out there. The disaster artist was huge. It's up for an Oscar. It, it's, I don't think it seems like reality right now. I know it doesn't seem like reality. And you want to know something funny, man? Like when I was going over, like preparing for this this legal battle and stuff, I was going over every communication i ever had with tommy and it's it's slightly embarrassing to share this with you but uh and one of my one of like my first emails or first couple of emails to tommy you know i told him i was like look i said uh i said i think that you know with the proper promotion and uh an interaction with your fans and, and stuff like that i said i think you can become one of the biggest celebrities in america you know and it happened. Yeah. Except it wasn't it wasn't me that brought him there. It was Franco, but it really happened. I mean, there was a day where Tommy Wiseau was the fourth biggest celebrity on IMDb, like on the Star Meter. Yeah. He was he was number four. It was either four or six. I believe it was four uh, in the world. Like that's that's absolutely crazy, you know. So yeah, it, it's totally surreal. Totally surreal and. And you know, only because of, of my bias, and it's, it might be petty of me, but almost a little bit frustrating, you know, just to see everyone now discovering Tommy. And it's like, well, you know, had I been allowed to release my movie earlier or had, uh, you know, then uh, everyone would have known who, who this man is. But, I mean, everything sort of happens for a reason, you know. I think it's everything that's happening with The Room is really cool. Um, 
it's introducing it to a whole new fan base now. So, you know, there's going to be a whole new generation of people throwing spoons and coming up with different call lines and, and things like that. His audience is so big now. So, I mean, at the end of the day, he did make uh, a really cool movie that, that everyone, you know, that you and I, uh, you know, complete, that absolutely love. And it's, it's sort of uh, changed my life. And, and uh, you know, and he's a really interesting guy. So let him be celebrated. I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of cool. And what was your views on the disaster artist? Did you think that James Franco did the role justice? So, you and I are going to disagree on this. All okay. right. So I know you absolutely adore the disaster artist. I think you said you you'd give it like was it a nine out of ten or a ten out of ten? Uh, do you know what's hard about this? Right. It's. I think it's just my heart because I love Tommy and I love the room and to see it on a cinema screen and getting all the recognition. I'm not sure if it's the room I'm loving that's showing through this disaster artist screening. I don't know what it is, but I absolutely loved it. And I just thought, I can't believe I'm seeing James Franco and Brian Cranston and all these people. It's incredible, it, right? It, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably getting carried away. As a film, I appreciate it's not a great film, but I, mm-hmm. I just... I'm so happy and I'm so in love with the fact that we got James Franco in a wig being Tommy Wiseau. It's it doesn't seem reality. Even when I'm talking to you now, it's crazy. Yeah. I and that I can that I, I can totally uh appreciate that sentiment. Like I sort of I felt the same way. I saw it at the the world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. Amazing. So and like dude, like I was nervous because the book, for sure, I'll tell you, the book I, is a 10 out of 10 for me. I think the book is a, is a masterpiece. It tells like a, a really amazing story. It's it's very well layered. It's detailed. It's dramatic. It's it's funny without being slapsticky. Like it's just funny by nature of what it is and, and who Tommy is and, and stuff, you know? So the book to me is, is an absolute masterpiece. So I'm thinking, all right, well what can they do with this movie and again it was so surreal for me you know so i'm i'm there with my friends and and uh and uh you know and you know the, the theater gets dark and you're like what am i getting into here like i can't believe this is this is real you know i'm actually about to watch this thing you know yeah now i'll say that uh franco did a phenomenal job phenomenal job as uh, playing tommy you know, I thought that his his accent, his mannerisms, everything. Like at some points, you're like, "Holy shit!" Like this, it it uh, like it feels like you're watching Tommy Wiseau on screen. And I thought it was really phenomenal, and that was uh, a relief because you know the first trailer that they had done with the I did not hit her scene, I wasn't really impressed. You no, know, thought, it, it was oh, slapstick. Uh, I thought this is terrible. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. even the music, everything about it. I thought this. Like, why did they release this as the first trailer? It doesn't really do it justice for those who know. Yeah. Right? And for those who don't know, you're thinking, what the hell am I watching? So I don't, I don't think it pleased many people other than people are just excited that it exists, right? Yeah. So, but um, by the end of the movie, though, like, I was, uh, while Franco did a great Tommy impression, I, I was, um, and, and I hate to say this, man, but, like, I was disappointed. That's fine. I was I, I, my co-host Ben, who's on Skip the End, is obsessed like I am. He didn't really dig the movie. He was just he he didn't he didn't really like the big fake Hollywood ending of wow this film's so successful and everyone's clapping and standing ovation. He just didn't get it. He's like this isn't what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I don't know if you remember some of the early interviews with Franco when he was talking that. Uh, how you know he wanted to make this movie like a cross between Boogie Nights and The Master? Yeah. 
And uh, and then so I was expecting like okay, I'm expecting a two and a half hour biopic. I'm thinking this is going to be really well directed and detailed, and and true to the book. Not that it wasn't true to the book, but just in the sense that uh, that that it would be uh, have as much depth as the book. Yeah. You know. So and then uh, as soon as I saw that the runtime was 90 minutes, I thought no. I said it's impossible. It's impossible. He's not like I don't know if you've seen a Paul Thomas Anderson film, but they're not ninety minutes. <laughs> they're never know? ninety minutes. Yeah, <laughs> never. So, yeah. So I thought, okay. I thought I, I don't know if whose decision it was, if it was a studio or, or whatever. And I'm making things up here, but I thought, okay, maybe for marketing purposes, they think that it's it's better to just turn it into a ninety minute comedy or or something like that. So while it worked really well as a comedy. It was definitely funny. I was laughing out loud throughout the film. Uh, I found that all the, uh, the the dramatic elements were pulled from the movie. And then when they tried to insert some drama, it didn't really work for me because there was no build up to it. Yeah. So like the football scene when he, you know, when he when they're fighting and he's like, "Where are you from? What's your real name? Where do you get all this money from?" Like there was no real build up to that. Like yeah, sure, there's just a little bit of mystery, but you know, now all of a sudden. Greg Sestero out of nowhere is frustrated that he doesn't know where this guy he lives with is from, you know? Yeah, it's Things true. Things like that. Yeah. I, I found that um, that there was just something lacking in that sense. Now, I could be falling victim to the fact that I just know too much and that I have an obvious bias because I got screwed over by Tommy Wiseau. I, you know, I uh, I, I have, uh, you know, I've, I've had like some... Uh, issues sort of with with james franco and and stuff like that as well so uh you know so i walked in there sort of kind of mad at the world anyways but i did go see it a second time and and uh you know even trying to put all of my biases aside and and to just watch it very objectively i just think that it 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 could have been a lot more than what it is i I think sometimes we're our our own worst enemies because when i was sitting there and watching you know, Robin on screen. I was thinking, no, no, that's not right. She wasn't sat there, and this wasn't happening. And you know, and I'm like, no one else in the cinema knows this, and I'm I'm ruining exactly. it for myself. And I, I was kind of getting, I I didn't want to know too much. And I went with my friend uh, Dave, who's just a big fan of just seeing the room a couple of times, and he thought it was the greatest film ever. And that's all it needed to be. And we were sat by two girls in the cinema and they turned around to me at the end and said, why were you laughing? What was all that about? I was like, do you know anything about the room? No. I was like, what did you think? That was the worst piece of shit film I've ever wow. seen. And I was like, yeah, you're not going to get it. Why would you understand the guy that looks like a vampire trying to act? You would not understand anything. Why did you come here and buy a ticket? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <sighs> and that's the thing too. Like, and it's hard for me to imagine watching it from the perspective of someone who knows nothing about the room. Right. It must be crazy. So, so yeah. You're like, what the hell am I watching? And why do I care about these characters? You know, you, but, you, you, uh, you just but mentioned yeah, then, and there's something I wanted to kind of, I understand if you don't want to talk about it, but you said you've got a bit of a, not a beef, but there's a bit of, you know, something with James Franco. What, what's that about? Yeah, so it's it's really not a big deal, man, and like maybe that's just how Hollywood goes, or maybe I'm just overly emotional or, or whatever. But uh, it was like, um, uh, I guess two years ago now, uh, someone had reached out to me from the Disaster Artist, uh, Brandon Trost. He's actually the DP and one of the creatives on the, the Disaster Artist, and uh, reached out to me and he's like, hey, uh, you know, Franco wants to see your documentary. 
He's like, I know it's not released yet. Do you have, uh, you know, a screener that we could see or something like that? So, of course, as, you know, this being my first movie and James Franco wants to see it, that's really exciting to me, you know? So I hopped on because it was from a hotmail of all emails you could use. It's like, you know, some hotmail address. I thought, okay, let's just make sure this isn't just some bozo trying to leak the film or something. So I was like, all right, let's just hop on Skype. I just want to make sure you are who you are. And, of course, I'll send you a link, you know? So get on Skype. And then Brandon says to me, um, he's like, yeah, Franco's really interested in your movie. And he said that, uh, you know, send him a screener. And uh, and he'll, he might license some footage from you. And he he'd pro- possibly uh, would like to do an interview to be interviewed to be in a room full of spoons, you know? So I'm thinking, oh, this is amazing. Like, this is the... Not the break I've been waiting for, but it's like, yeah, if he's going to be now doing a project about the room, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't want to say an important person in the room community, but like, I do know a lot, so it's kind of cool to to have him consult me in that sense, right? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so sure enough, send him a link, and I don't hear anything back. And then, uh, you know, so I reach out a couple times, they completely ghosted me, just completely disappeared. And then I have uh, actually a couple of friends who have met him since. And I mean, I'm talking at, uh, you know, at, at Tribeca and at Netflix events and, and stuff like not, uh, not just like a Q&A, raise your hand, hey, tell me about Room Full of Spoons, you know, like I'm talking one on one with James Franco. These are film industry people, you know. And uh, and they asked him about it, and he denied having ever seen it. He, you know, and and stuff like that. So it's just hurtful, man. You, you know what I mean? It's just like, like just throw me a bone. Like you're James fucking Franco. You're making this big movie about the room. You you clearly you did watch the film. Like don't deny having seen it. We're not asking you to promote it or to or, or nothing like that. But you know, and then same thing. I think he was asked in Huffington Post about it, and he denied ever having seen it and, and stuff. And it's just like. Like okay, dude. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's just yeah, uh, it's a shame, it's really. Just annoying. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I I, I believe, uh, and I got told by a couple of sources that he listened to my early interviews with Tommy to kind of get more of a flavour for the character. And I just need to either take it and just believe it or not. But I know he did from some of the stuff I've heard. Yeah, I I have no doubt that he did because I was also told that he heard one of my first interviews and said something about how I was being disrespectful to, to Tommy or whatever. So, I mean, that's cool. I don't expect everyone to, to like me. I don't expect everyone to like the movie. Like, even if you didn't like Room Full of Spoons, like, don't don't deny having seen it. Like, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, anyways, whatever. It, it is what it is. It's uh, it's it's not a big deal, but that's just where, where that comes from, you know? So, so, despite everything that's happened, the way it's turned out with Tommy, what is your favourite kind of story that you can share with your time with him? Uh, no, now, my time with him was, was relatively short, but uh, uh, there was this... You know how Tommy always thinks that he's important, right? And it's like when you think you're important and you, you, you sort of let off this kind of... This, this sort of uh, energy or people around you sort of believe that you're important. So we're preparing to go to a screening once. And uh, he was, uh, of course, like on the you know 20-something floor or, or something on the club level of, of the hotel. So we went up there to grab boxes of DVDs and, and stuff, and we hop in the elevator. So keep in mind, we're going down like 22 floors or something, all right? So we're in the elevator, me and, and my partners and uh, Tommy and Greg, and uh, so we're just sort of strategizing about who's going to sell DVDs, who's going to manage the door, stuff like that, right? So we're just having just 
conversation about it. So the elevator stops like on the 14th floor, as it should. And some lady tries to walk in the elevator, and he puts his hand out and says, "No, excuse me, we're in a meeting right now. You can't come into the elevator." Jesus Christ! And, and the lady sort of looks, and she's shook because here's this, you know, weird-looking guy with this bright shirt and a, a bunch of belts and long hair and glasses, and you, you don't you don't really know who you're dealing with. So she apologizes. and backs out of the elevator doors close and he just goes on as if he owned the elevator like just things like that you know he's just um a really every moment spent with tommy is 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 a story like you you know it's it's incredible i can't imagine how interesting greg's life uh, has been with him he could probably write 10 books yeah, I mean, even now when I'm seeing stuff at him at the awards and stuff, like, he's on the red carpet and Greg's just kind of stood in the background, not even looking embarrassed, just like, just just let him do his thing, I'm just going to stand here, I'm not responsible for him, but like a yeah. like an older brother that's just embarrassed, it's it's weird. Yeah, like a babysitter or something, it's, it's really, it's really something, you know, like I, I've, uh, you know, there was at a book signing, even, and, uh, so Tommy's signing the book. He's scratching out Tom Bissell's name and writing his own name as if Tom Bissell had nothing to do with the book. You know, so he scratches out his name. He writes Tommy Wiseau. And but when um, but when the uh, the fans approach Tommy with a book that's not open on the right page, instead of just opening it and signing it, he hands it to Greg. He says, "I can't deal with this." He hands it to Greg. Greg opens the book, like literally flips one page, and then hands it back to Tommy. Like everything about him is just about you know having control about uh, over everyone around him, and it's just uh, it's very entertaining, but like freaky at the same time. You know, you can't take a picture with him without him saying, "No, you go here, you go there, you stand up, you crouch down, and cameraman, go back ten feet." You know, it's just, it's it, crazy. Really is it? Really is crazy, man. Yeah. And you know more than anyone else about it. It's it's. I thought I knew a lot, and then you're just the next level. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I know more than anyone else, but I, I you know, I, I really absorbed every moment I spent with him because it was just, it was just really fascinating. Just, uh, you know, I, I like to say he's the most interesting guy since Michael Jackson. I can only, <laughs> I can only imagine what hanging out with Michael Jackson was like. You know, I would love to see Tommy and Michael Jackson hanging out together. <laughs> My God, that's too much. Yeah. So we've sat and talked for an hour about this documentary and I feel like I'm kind of being unfair to the listeners right now because we're talking all about it. I've seen it a couple of times. When are the people out there now going to get to experience this? Is there any update that can add some kind of positivity and those people can think, yes, I'm going to finally see this? Yeah, well, it's definitely going to be out soon. Now, I've made the mistake of committing to dates in the past and then when that date doesn't come, I, I just sort of set people up for, for disappointment. So uh, I'm going to say it's a couple of months away. Okay. Okay? Yeah, so we got over the injunction. There was an injunction placed on the film where we weren't, not only were we not allowed to sell it, but we weren't even allowed to, to promote it, to send uh, send it to, to festivals, to do anything. To Basically, we, we could barely acknowledge the film's existence. Uh, we were able to get over that. Um, you know, we, we worked with some fantastic lawyers at uh, Gilbert's Law and Taylor Obala Murray Leyland in Toronto. They got, uh, you know, they, they got this injunction dissolved. So we're good in that sense. But now there's still the, the, the pending court case itself. 
So we're in the process of trying to see if there's any way to, uh, you know, to, to be able to, to get out of this without physically going to court and having a judge make a decision on this, you know, so there's still, there's still some back and forth going on right now. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that things are going to turn out uh, in our favor, but, uh, you know, crazier things have happened. So I'm I'm still trying to stay humble about everything, but, you know, our lawyers are working really hard and uh, we try to update the fans uh, by way of our Facebook page. So that's facebook.com slash roomfullofspoons. And uh, all of the court information, too, if, if anyone's interested in seeing, like, the actual court documents, the injunction and, and the, the, the initial claim and, and all that's all on our uh, Facebook, on our uh, webpage, that's uh, roomfullofspoons.com. You can download all the actual court files and read through it. It's actually kind of fascinating, really interesting stuff there. Yeah, I, I know that people that are listening to this are those sort of people that will now go on that site, read everything, and then start trying to go to Poland and find all the same spots you visited. And I, we're not, we're not normal fans. The people that like Tommy Wiser in the room are not just an average listener. So I, I can't wait for those guys to check out your research and eventually own the DVD or be able to stream it and actually finally watch it. Because I don't want to tease people but I've seen it and I love it and that's why I was so keen to sit and talk with you and I think we could do a 10 hour special if we needed to oh, thanks so much man and, and hey uh, I think we're getting along pretty good I'd be happy to do a 10 hour special with you that's good <laughs> I've got one final question okay I'm going to put you on the spot do you have any regrets about any of this um none whatsoever good that's none, the answer I whatsoever. wanted I mean I made the movie that I wanted to I, I stuck to my guns, uh, and I, I say I every time. When I say I, I mean I'm talking about me and, and my partners. I mean I I certainly didn't make this movie alone. This was a collaborative effort. Uh, you know, my two childhood friends, Martin Rassico and, and Fernando Ferrero, were there every step of the way. You know, every shitty phone call from Tommy, every lawyer, every letter that we got from lawyers. Uh, you know, they were right there in, in the court with me. Uh, my buddy Richard Towns. He owns uh, Parktown Studios here in Ottawa. He came along in the project a little bit later, but uh, he's been complete, totally committed to it. And you might want to ask him if he has any regrets because he he invested in this movie and uh, and you know brought a lot of resources and 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 stuff like that, and only to to end up in court and not make any money. So <laughs> ask him if he has any regrets. But no, as for me, I, I don't have any regrets whatsoever. Uh, it sounds super cliche, man, but you know they say everything happens for a reason, and you gotta think that had I released the movie a year ago, like I wanted to, it would have come and gone. This is yeah. would have been. Yeah. You know, now there's all this this uh, you know Golden Globe and Oscar craziness, and and uh, Tommy's on Jimmy Kimmel and Howard Stern, and he's he's celebrated worldwide. And just, I think I saw that they just screened the room in in, uh, in uh, Hong Kong if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's. I mean, all of this, uh, just by effect of, of what it is, is going to work in my favor, right? So, I mean, nothing is planned. I mean, I, I, I would have rather not have to go to court, not have to fight, uh, you know, to, to, to have my movie seen. But the silver lining is that there's going to be a bigger audience than there ever was. So, you know, I just have to be grateful that uh, that, that I had the opportunity to, uh, to, to to work on a project like this and that, you know, this is my first movie, too, so to have your first movie kind of be uh, celebrated this way, is uh, it, it's a really nice feeling, man. I get to talk to people like you. 
I get to, uh, you know, I, I get to see my name pop up in different uh, news articles sometimes and, and stuff like that. So that's uh, that, that's kind of cool for, you know, a couple guys who just wanted to be filmmakers in 2010 to, you know, fast forward a couple years later and see your name in, in Hollywood Reporter and stuff. I mean, it's, there's, that's, that's pretty fun, you know? Do you know what's crazy now? The fact that Rock Haven did this first uh, feature and it's probably been very stressful, court cases, legal action arguments falling out negativity all over the place the fact that when you now release a second documentary or a film it's going to feel like an absolute breeze it will just be the easiest experience <laughs> of your life and you'll think oh my lord we joke about this all the time man. it's so true it's so true for all the bullshit that we went through now and and you know taking uh six or seven years now to, to get this movie out our next film i feel like we're just gonna knock it out the park in the sense that we know what we're doing now, we're we're much more uh, we're uh, you know we're working with with an actual studio now in Ottawa with with Parktown. Now we're much more uh, experienced filmmakers, so we're not going to make some of the the, the production uh, errors that we did early on, and we're certainly going to make sure that we don't get sued. So we're not going to do any any documentary on crazy people, any documentaries on crazy people anymore. But uh, <laughs> is is there any uh, seeds planted at the moment that you're kind of starting to think this is what I'd like to do next, or is it just well, let's get this one out of the way and then look at it? No, for sure. Yeah, so we're in. Uh, I, I like to say pre pre production for uh, a movie that I wrote called High Season. Okay. So this is not a documentary. So uh, you know, we we just started off by making a documentary because it's it's kind of a I I don't want to say easy because it didn't end up being easy, but it's an it's a uh, it's a nice introduction, I think, into becoming a filmmaker because it's typically, you know, relatively cheap to shoot, and you you can make certain mistakes that you can't make uh, while shooting like a scripted film, right? Definitely. So uh, I wrote a script called High Season. It's a like a horror slash thriller that we plan on shooting uh, later this year. So uh, I'm gonna be, you know, I, I wrote it. I'm gonna be producing it uh, along with uh, Parktown Studios and uh, the actual actually the guy who shot Room Full of Spoons, so the cinematographer on Room Full of Spoons, uh, Martin Rassico, is going to be directing. So uh, that's something that we're in the very early stages of, uh, of, of you know, of, of production. So, so let's say yeah, in 12 that, months' time, uh, you come back on and we'll talk all about this. Oh man, I can't wait, thank you. No problem. So there it is, a good hour's interview with me and Rick, and I wasn't joking when I said I could talk to that guy for 10 hours. We've since spoken since the episode's been recorded. There will be a follow-up. There's so much more we can discuss. Once the actual documentary's out there and we start seeing his own film come out, I can't wait to get him back because I think there's so much more to be said. And we've talked about kind of meeting up and getting some more footage. It's going to happen, guys. So if you enjoyed today's episode, you know, there's going to be more. I want to thank Rick, um, one of the coolest guys I've ever spoken to. For me personally, at the moment, this is my favourite episode I've recorded. I know we've had some big, huge names like Anthony Hopkins and Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes, etc. Because this story was something I really wanted to find more and more out about. And I was lucky enough to do that through Mark and me. And we just clicked. You know, you have some guests on the podcast that feel like they're quite hard work. People like Corey Feldman. They're great interviews, but you really you don't really click or connect. But as soon as I spoke with Rick, we just kind of felt like we've been friends for years. So hopefully that came across for you guys listening right now back at home. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. The podcast is getting bigger and bigger. The Twitter followers are going up. More and more people are jumping on board. 
You've probably seen a few tweets from me recently. It's strange, this world of podcasting. You can request all these interviews and you're waiting around. And it sounds cheesy, but it's like a bus. I've had five interviews come through this week, five last week. I've got three next week. And it's such a range of different people. And, you know, I understand people want the big names. You want to hear from people like Kurt Russell. Trust me, there's no one more than I want on this podcast than Kurt Russell. But the more people I speak to from all different walks of life... They have some incredible stories to tell. People like Rick today, and I'm making it my job now to go out there and speak to everyone I can. If it's someone on the street that's got a story to tell you that you've never heard of, but the story is incredible, I will do what I can to get it out there for you guys to listen to. I'm working really, really hard behind the scenes right now, and I'm going out there and contacting as many people as I can. I can't really give much away, but you're going to have a good range of episodes coming over the next few months i want to release them when the time's right but everyone i speak to kind of is raising the bar and giving me more kind of passion and drive to just keep delivering the goods for you guys and thank you very much for taking the time to listen because it means the absolute world and it's why i do this podcast i hope you've enjoyed the episode if you have leave me some feedback on facebook or instagram or twitter or whatever you want to do but i love listener interaction i love the feedback Please stick around. Thanks again for listening, and I'm sure I'll be speaking to you all again in only a few weeks' time. Don't call it a comeback.